Hi there, my name's Willie Russo and you're listening to Interview with an Artist, the show where we speak with a range of art world players. Caroline Zielinski is a Sydney-based artist working in the portraiture and figurative genre. She's represented by Amanda Hobbs and this year was a finalist in the Archibald Prize with her portrait of Australian celebrities and 2021 block winners Mitch and Mark. This prize listing adds to her extensive list of achievements, which includes winning the Portia Geach and the Evelyn Chapman Awards. Caroline is a deep, deep thinker. And can I tell you, I love deep thinkers. In today's episode of Interview with an Artist, Caroline and I talk about why she loves portraiture so much, how she sees the role of an artist in the world, the intensity of creating her show Barren Land that was recently a sellout show at Nanda Hobbs and what it's like to stand amongst a sold out show, how she feels she has a limited amount of time left and what she wants to do with that time and what her daily practice looks like and why she's structured it that way. There is a vulnerability to Caroline that I hadn't expected. Her works are so strong and bold and yet there's this fragility to them now that I understand and appreciate even more. Interview with an Artist is hosted and produced by me, Willie Russo, along with championing the arts through this podcast and my radio work at 2SER 107.3 FM. I'm also an artist mentor. I work with artists from a variety of stages and backgrounds, helping them figure out the right next step in their artistic practice. I have a monthly newsletter that you can sign up to, and I also provide one-on-one mentoring sessions. If you're looking for some advice navigating your artistic practice, book a session today. Head on over to the website at wilhelminarusso.com. Now, please enjoy meeting the fascinating Caroline Zielinski. Caroline Zielinski, thank you so much for joining us on Interview with an Artist. How are you? I'm okay. You're okay. You have, <laughs> you have just in the last couple of months had a incredibly well-received sold-out show at Nanda Hobbs called Barren Land, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the story behind the show as well. But tell me, how does it feel when that solo show sells out and you're standing there amongst all the red dots and all the paintings that are heading off to new homes? Uh, it was overwhelming and I think because I work uh, on one piece at a time and I paint in a very confined space so I have in my mind the body of work but up until that point I had not seen them hung all together so there's always that question of is it going to be cohesive and things like that and um, yeah it was quite overwhelming to see them all hung together as a as the body of work that they they were meant to be. You know, I thought it, I I was really happy with how it all came together, and it's I don't know it was it's quite poignant because it's like at that point that's the point that they're all going to be together before then they go off into their you know separate homes. So it was like a you know reuniting of all the characters and people and places and complete recreation of the journey that I actually took and and a visual representation of where my mindset has been for the last two years and then it all disappears. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the trip out because your dad drove you part of the way. You were retracing Russell Drysdale's steps out into far west New South Wales. Yes. 
What surprised you most about that trip? The female perspective. That was, uh, it was quite an unusual, like that was the last of my intentions to have any sort of, like I, I literally proposed following the physical journey that he took. So like actually researching on a map where he went and just following that and making my own interpretation. I really had no preconceived ideas, but what I imagined was it'd be like my response to the land. And what ended up happening was that it was a very feminine response to the land because even though my dad drove me out to Broken Hill, it was almost like he drove me to a certain point. Then I was taken by a woman who was a good friend and the rest of the journey was taken with her and all the people we met incidentally were women, uh, the only female station owner in New South Wales, uh, which was a family member of hers, uh, the woman that ran the Tibberborough pub. Without it being intentional, it was, um, I think, was from a very different lens to particularly who I'd chosen, which was like this huge historical male figure and all the conversations I felt like I'd had up until a certain point were like in my own head like while I was painting like the conversations were with that male dominated modernist period in Australian art so it was like this uh like emergent female narrative of of a similar journey that was probably the most surprising thing I think one of the most poignant works in that show for me was the um the woman at the clothesline with the apron and there's one set of clothes, there's one set of underwear, there's, and it's just a barren, very barren property. And then there's the little worker's cottage or the little house up in the corner. The power in that image of the hanging up the washing, is that, is that something that you actually saw? Like I saw a lot and then sort of had to break it down into like simpler, like, you know, like it was like information overload and then how do you translate that in? Kind of distilling it yeah, down like into. Yeah, uh, like the conveys everything, you know, that was witnessed. And, um, yeah, and I think I had like a, a lot of personal things that happened at the same time which probably really affected the lens that I was seeing things through so yeah I had a long-term relationship breakup and my daughter turned 18 and I was suddenly left like you know like quite alone and uh that's I think when it turned a bit dark like I was like oh like traversing this barren land because I feel barren and like you know what's my identity now like I'm just gonna turn into someone with like beige underpants that hangs up my you know, washing alone for the rest of my life. So I think that really tainted my, not tainted, but tinted my perspective of, or maybe like uh, tuned me more into the the solitude of, maybe the solitude turned into a bit of loneliness of the outback. You said at one point in that show, you felt like you were on trial. But for the actual, op- yeah, it does feel like that. Yeah. Cause you put who do you feel on trial from, like all the yeah, viewers? Yeah, like, you know, or... like you're on public trial because, you know, you sit there alone and, you know, everything sort of happens between your head and your hand and a canvas and you can think whatever you want and embellish things in your own mind. And the conversation is a very private one between you and a canvas and then all of a sudden it's hung on a wall in a public setting and, you know, at the end of the day you have no idea whatsoever how things will be received. 
yeah, it is almost like you're up for public execution and, you know, hopefully hopefully there'll be like a magisterial grace at the last minute. But it went, it went okay. So I'm still got my head. <laughs> it was so well received. Um, how are you going with figuring out your identity post the show, post that big chunk of life and focus? I actually had a body of work that I'd begun and I had to put it aside to begin the landscape series and yeah that caused me a lot of anxiety because I was worried if I put it aside you know what I might never come back to it so I'm actually very excited to begin this next this body of work that I had begun and uh, like I need a definitive break before I begin it because it's a long a long haul again. In terms of your practice it sounds quite intense because I know you wake up really early you paint in your own like your studio is your home so you live amongst the work like how do you sleep um, (laughs) at least I have a roof over my head I suppose (laughs) I don't know um, true does it get very intense like is it always I I wake up and you know my work is it's the first thing I'm looking at and uh when I go to sleep it's the last thing I'm thinking about and I suppose that rest time when I'm about to go to sleep is uh I actually figure out a lot in the painting for the next day so I sort of resolve what what needs to change or the tweaks that need to be made for the next day and um like I've had a lot of conversations with people about uh, going to like having a studio that I go to, but um, yeah, I have I have a lot of anxiety about actually having to commute. The I'm you know in the latter part of my life now, and death is imminent, and I don't have the luxury of. <laughs> oh my god, death is so not imminent. You're so young. <laughs> I don't feel that. Yeah, I, I don't have the luxury of time to like, yeah, to commute, to commute and, to the and, studio, uh, having rest periods, or you know, enjoying life or anything like that. That's I, I've squandered most of my life. So now it, my punishment for my past sins is like just an unbearable load of work until I die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like you have squandered your life at all because I was looking back through your showing history and your prizing, your prize listings, and you have been such a regular feature on um, the major Australian portraiture prizes. Um, And in 2020, you took out the Porsche Geach. What is it about portraiture that you just need Um, to paint? I think painting... The painting of people is an attempt at, I'm just trying to see how I can word this, portraiture attempts to fundamentally answer the question of what it is to be human and why we are here, you know, like what are you, like why have, you know, why have us humans been given, you know, the capacity for complex and abstract thinking and why have we been you know, given the capacity to question our own existence and therefore, you know, like are plagued with that question. And I think, you know, like painting, I think there's a whole thing of like humans affirm their existence by having their image reflected back to them, which is why I also think that like social media 
and things like that, people become so pathologically and subconsciously obsessed with them because it's this reflection of our own image back to us that is like attempting to answer some searching question, but it gets like swayed like with digital realms. But I think there's a, in painting, it's a fundamental question of who who are we and what we are doing here. And I think that's why it's it's an exciting genre, like, and, and it's uh, because, you know, what it attempts to, what it attempts to answer is fundamental to who people are. Who have you enjoyed painting the most or who's someone who's been really fun to paint? I've, I've enjoyed painting most people that I've painted and um, it, I like the challenge of attempting to capture how do you capture like the entire dimension of a person in a two-dimensional picture and how do you how do you go beyond a simple likeness of that person and embody you know their psyche as a whole so uh, uh, Anthea Pilko who, who was the one that won the Portuguese I was allowed a lot more liberty with her than perhaps you know like other sitters where it's much more important that the likeness has to come through a lot more, which can, you know, maybe diminish the more ethereal aspects of the person. But with her, I had like complete liberty. And um, is that just because she's a like, is she a friend? Yeah, I think because she's a friend, and it was really, uh, I think, like with a lot of the sitters, like I, yeah, like but I asked if I could paint her. I was like, I was just so entranced by her, her appearance, her as a person. That um, yeah, it was very exciting to try to distill that into a painting. Yeah. In terms of awards and being finalist listings and and winning, does it is it still a thrill? Oh, I think yeah, for me, like I'm pretty ne- a negative person, so you know, like thrill doesn't last too long in anything. Um, I tend to like uh, find a lot much much more joy in the misery of life. So you know, it's like um. <laughs> Oh, my God, I love that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. And, yeah, I think, I think like, with the Portuguese winning that, the impact of that was more that I think, I think my daughter started to take my practice more seriously. She's like, Mum, you're, yeah. you're pretty good. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Because before that, like, you know, after every painting I did, she was like, no one wants your ugly people. You should just paint dogs. Like, everyone loves dogs and um she stopped, she stopped saying that after I won the Portuguese. Stop it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, thanks, darling. Thanks for the support of your mother who has raised you since you came <laughs> yeah. out of me. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So, um, I, I, like, I feel profoundly honoured personally. Uh, perhaps there's, like, some sort of institutional recognition of your work. But, um yeah, I don't know. I feel like, you know, you're only as good as your last painting, so you can't sort of rest on any prior merit. You know, each work presents its own challenge. Each work is a fresh work. I have to bring my all to. And with your style, it is very distinctive. I love it because there's so much character and richness to it. When did you know, okay, I've landed on and, and this is this is my aesthetic and this is how I work I I think like a painter's style is almost like a signature like everyone has a has their own signature and I don't think you consciously develop your own 
you know, everyone just has their weird, you know, like their, their handwriting technique. So I think like it's something that is unique to each well, painter or artist. I don't know how much, how consciously or unconsciously. That's it's just, just always yeah, been. what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Do you remember the first piece you sold? I remember one of the first pieces I sold was I did this series on um, uh, Abu Ghraib torture victims. <laughs> Wonderful topic. This this gay couple bought it, and I actually said to them, I said. Are you sure? This is why it's good to have an art dealer because they'll just sell it. Whereas I said to them, I don't, are you sure you want this hanging in your lounge room? It's like quite heavy and it'll probably like depress you on a daily basis. And they were like, no, no, we love it. And then they actually rung me like six months later and were like, we'd like to return it. <laughs> like it's completely made our lives misery. Um, I can't Did remember. you take it back? I'm, no. Like, I'm hoping you didn't. That's not the deal. That's not the deal, people. You buy a work, you keep it. Like you even gave them the warning up front. No, I think I, I think the ownership of a painting is like a very spiritual practice, and I like I have a real belief in like. Well, I like I think that's like the final housing place of, or it's a long term housing place of like a, a work, and I think it's. I don't know. I'm quite particular about knowing where they've gone, and like with a with a gallery, like you have limited knowledge. So you know, you've got to sort of hope something's guiding where they land, sort of thing. And um, I mean, with that particular series, the rest of them found homes that were like hugely appreciated. But that particular one work had, oh, it had like a lot of energy around it because at the same time, the day I finished painting it a close friend actually died and what I saw was that like the person that was lying flat on the ground in the painting actually resembled looked exactly like them so it was almost I felt like I'd like preempted their death and painted it so I was very reluctant to have it go to yeah yeah, someone's house because I think energetically they do paintings do hold a lot of the, the zeitgeist. Yeah, I completely agree. It's an energy yeah. transfer, or you know, you 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 know, an artist puts there is their energy in the work, and there is their essence in the work. And when you, you know, when you acquire a work, you're acquiring that energy yeah. into your home and life. Yeah. Which is and, probably why most people just like yeah. landscapes. You know, or like you yeah. know, color field painting. When I like, I look and I think, you know, like what what would I buy? And I think, you know, I'd probably tend towards uh, something softer on the eye. Maybe I don't know. Like, uh, uh, but I think there's. Um, I don't think art should be that simple. Like, I think it should make you feel a bit uncomfortable because then you know a fundamental thing to question your existence and and you know question your surroundings and question the society you live in on a daily basis and if not the art realm of art to do that you know where else yeah even though like you more, might be more immediately drawn to something a bit easier I think it's perhaps harder subjects you get more longevity out of because you're constantly returning and questioning 
What time do you start in the studio? What time does your kind of painting day start when you're like in the thick of it? Wake up at about 4, 4.30. I try to exercise for an hour each morning just because otherwise I can't hold the seated position for the long periods of time and also like for my mental health and I have a coffee at a cafe around the corner and then I'll come home and I'll start painting normally around 6 in summer easily 6 o'clock because the light is immediately good but I have bought like an industrial light yeah I went with my family like with my daughter and my partner to the hardware store this was like two years ago and to get a, like a, a light that I can so I'm not at the mercy of you know daylight and we all stood there at, like I've chosen one and we all stood there and like sort of in unison went this is a really bad idea because you'll never stop painting at least you're limited by like nighttime now like so we left yes. and I didn't, I didn't actually buy it and you know in winter when the days are shorter like I was like no no this is I need I need the extra light so generally and then I'll just uh, uh, paint all day it sounds like a long period of time but I think most people work quite long hours and I think because I paint slowly in order to get enough work done each day to cover you know to make sense of the painting in blocks needs to be yeah I just need the hours to do that and I generally don't notice the time passing so except for like the traffic builds up at about four in front of my place. So I'm like, oh, it's the afternoon. Damn, I've got to like <laughs> hurry up. <laughs> yeah. And then in terms of your studio setup or your work setup, is it silent? Is uh, there music? I, I prefer silence because I feel like, yeah, it's just a long time to have like an external, like music. External yeah, noise. Yeah, like, or anything mm. playing and I've got all the sounds of the street. And I have a neighbour that, like, occasionally, like, plays, like, this horrendous Hare Krishna music on full blast and it drives me insane. What do you do to get out of a creative funk? I feel like I've wasted so much of my life. I don't have time for creative funk. Yeah, no, I kind of know I've got a good idea of what I'm going to do, so... Is this the first break you've got coming up in a while? This is the first break in two years, yeah. So I always have a, like at the moment, like that's why I'm in the lounge room as well because at the moment the studio wall is blank. Like I've got a drawing there that will be, is the intention for the next work but I feel extremely uncomfortable. It's like staring into like the existential void of meaningless. I'm staring into the abyss when I stare at that blank wall. And when you go on holiday, do you seek out visual inspiration or do you just do nothing arty? Like I go to like lots of galleries. That's my holiday. I'm looking forward to going and seeing all the museums and all the all the artworks and probably have to do a lot of it on my own because everyone gets a bit annoyed at me. Like, like can't you just have a break from art? No. No. <laughs> I love it. I hear your mum's a painter, but she can't paint under the name Zielinski because you're like, Mum, I like it taken twenty years to get here. No, no, no. <laughs> no, she is. She's she's Zielinski. She only started painting at uh she had like a vein explode in her eye. She had an ocular vein occlusion, which I 
feel like I caused from years of being an awful child. And after that, she started painting and she was actually quite good, which is, um, yeah, I was surprised by. And I don't know, because, you know, painting's been my salvation hit the small like tiny piece of salvation that was given to me in a lineage of horror and I was like why couldn't you do flower arrangement or crochet (laughs) can't you knit can't you knit (laughs) I just yeah I thought at the time I thought it was a very you know symbolic attempt to like destroy me and make my existence even more purposeless than it is and um yeah but anyway she's no I oh god I I, love it she's she's (laughs) very good and she yeah I think yeah who's your biggest cheerleader probably my family yeah family and um and my daughter and my ex-partner they probably put up with the most trauma from it all so they're like oh thank god she's like doing something good with it because otherwise it's all just negative was there a point in your career that you thought oh yeah I'm, I'm gonna make it this is this is what I'm gonna do because you know you started you were in art express yeah. in 1996 and then you went on and studied and so you've been exhibiting since the early 2000s yeah. You know, cracking on 20 years now. Was there some point in there or is it just each year you're like, well, I just have no other option. I have to paint. Um, That's who I am. I I got, uh, like I got, uh, I got quite sick for a while and I had to, like I stopped painting for a year or two and I, I had to learn how to walk again and everything and I ended up, like I had to like learn all basic skills again and I felt like I had to start painting again. I remember sitting in my room and thinking uh, like I just sharpened pencils for like a few hours every day and, yeah, I remember thinking, okay, if I spend every day till the day I die sitting in here painting and I paint hundreds of works and then they sit in my room and then I die and a, someone comes and scoops them all up and chucks them in a U-Haul bin and takes them to the rubbish dump. Like, would I would I still paint? Like, would I still do this? And I thought, yes, I would. So I think that sort of gave me permission to keep painting regardless of the outcome, just to, like, that I, the, it, it sort of made me understand that the reason I paint is probably like quite personal and what occurs outside of that is immaterial to how I'll paint anyway so it was quite freeing I think like I'm really glad that like you know my work's not going from the studio yeah to the bin that's a huge relief because I think a huge part of painting is a viewer's participation and what I might paint it, but like what someone sees, you know, what someone else sees from it. I feel like not having that as the uh, end goal, it makes the work maybe a lot more honest, regardless of the outcome. It is that quiet communication that's most important. How would you describe your relationship with social media? When I was with Robin Gibson Gallery, they said to me, Carl said to me, 
you need I didn't have I didn't have Facebook or I haven't didn't have any social media had no interest in it and they said you can't be an, a practicing artist without some kind of social media so I got an Instagram account and uh, only put my work on it and it is what it is it's a being pulled into participating in 21st century life but uh yeah, the only thing I find difficult is I have a real issue with my appearance and I just cringe every time I see myself on like any kind of anything. So a big part of why I paint is I can hide behind the canvas, like I don't have to exist. I'm just the brush or like the terps or something or the rag and like yeah, I find it grueling to see my face anywhere. I think I've heard you say that quote before because I have it written down in my notebook. I paint so I don't have yeah, to yeah. exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how do you deal with your inner critic? Oh, um, I don't know. I, I don't. <laughs> no, it's just like, yeah, it's a, it's a tenuous relationship. There's not much um, control I have over how harsh I am. I'm told I shouldn't be so harsh, but, you know, what do you do? If you could spend one day in a studio with any other artist, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, if it was only one day, for the excitement aspect, I'd probably be in, like, Andy Warhol's factory. Just a day there would have been pretty exciting end up with Studio 54, but um, uh, practice-wise, I'd probably go with with maybe like Monet or um, Michelangelo, you know, like watch him paint the Sistine Chapel for a day or something, yeah. What's the one thing in your studio you can't go without? Cigarettes. (laughs) Fuck the paint. I need the cigarettes. (laughs) As I cough. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And um, I remember standing beside someone at Barren Land and they were saying, is the black line last or is the black line first? And I, I mean, I had no idea. And I thought, oh, if I ever speak to you, I need to ask you. It's first and last. Like it's carved into like each layer. So it's like an integral part of the process throughout. It's kind of painted around. It's not carved in, into it so it's never gone over with paint wow no wonder it takes so long yeah. right to do each piece yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's the strangest thing you've ever bought from the art store I've bought so many strange things I actually went yesterday and I bought like they had so when you walk into Parker's they always have like a little sale table and that has been like the curse of my existence because you know, you go, oh, it's on sale. And then like you use it and you're like, oh, this is really good. And now I have to like pay full price for the rest of my life and like go bankrupt from this stupid sale table. And uh, like I bought like all very unusual like sable brushes, which, you know, a couple of hundred dollars each and they're like selling them, whatever. And then you start to use them and you're like, shit. Now I actually have to buy them for like $500 each for all eternity. And um, yesterday I'm did, I bought, they had a sale, <laughs> another sale. I went in there to buy one stretcher, which I knew wouldn't happen. Oh, stop it. What and did I you bought, get? What did you buy? They had, like a sale table. This is like Australian hand-printed, like, emu paper or something. 
and bought like oh a whole God. stack of them. You have bought a whole stack yeah, of them. Yeah, I have no idea what I'll do. And what will you do with those? You'll just play with them or you'll? No, I don't tend to play. So, And I've only bought enough that I can like do a definitive series on each colour and size. So I bought 10 of each. I can probably allow two for play and then the rest have to be like executed in exactly. Got to get it right. Yeah. So there's like no joy of anything. But um. Yeah, I'm not sure. I have no idea. Actually, when I left, I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do because I don't think they, I don't think I could just do, and I think they're actually printmaking paper, so, which means that the pencil will just rip it to pieces. So we'll see. I'll show you when I've done it. We'll <laughs> yeah. I'll look forward to it. I'll look yeah. forward to it. Um, what do you wish someone had told you at the start of your art do career? Do economics. <laughs> do something that you know I don't know be a house builder like just do something you know it's like less thought and more practical yeah no no I definitely yeah like stockbroking or something that's you know generally appreciated in a capitalist society oh I was gonna say I don't know if stockbrokers are appreciated but when you add the capitalist society yes they they (laughs) yeah you can like dismiss them but you know Everyone's impressed when, like, someone pulls up in a Bentley. Ooh, you work in finance. Yeah, yeah. It has so much more weight. <laughs> like, when you say you're an artist, most people, like, imagine you're just, like, pushing splotches of paint around, which you are, like, which I am. So, like, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know. No, but the, the deep thinking, the constantly the questioning of life, right, That's, yeah. that is the, um, the labour of an artist as well as the physical yeah. labour. But, and you're um, so isolated and it's such long hours alone, you know, doing something that isn't immediately utilitarian. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're applying paint to a fabric or as a painter. I mean, God help a sculptor. Like, yeah, if you dwell on that too much, you can go insane. It, it, devoting your entire life to that, which I, I think is fundamentally extremely important. But you know, on a on a practical level, you think this is my existence. <laughs> like, okay, this is. Have you got other artist friends? Like, have you got other artists that you go and hang out with, and you're like, oh my god. I don't know. I don't really hang out with anybody. I but I like Nanda Hobbs has like quite a good artist community. So like I'm. I was going to say they seem to have a really nice artist community yeah. there. It's like well, a, a, a very well supported artist. Yeah, community a lot of the artists there. are friends. I think that's something very unique to that gallery. A lot of the artists attend uh, other artists' mm. openings. I talk regularly with a lot of the artists there mm. and, yeah, it's a, it's a lot more of a community than it extends well beyond, like, each individual artist having, you know, having a show, which I think is, um, yeah. like it's, it's nice. It's really it's nice. It's really nice. Like, I think, yeah, yeah I think a lot of – a lot of the arts can feel like, you know, individuals are vetted against each other and um, it's actually like something that's fortunate about Nanda Hobbs is that you feel like you're part of the arts community. You feel like, you know, like there's writers, interviewers, you know, like it's the whole ecosystem coming. One last question before I let you go. Yeah. Where would you like to see your art go over the next couple of years? I'm very excited to do 
the next body of work that I'm I just the thing I I don't know if it's excitement I just want to be able to live long enough to produce like, like I've got a few series that I'd like to do and I'm really worried I'll die or get Parkinson's or you know like have some ailment afflict me that I won't be able to produce them so every day like semi-healthy and you know is is a good day so yeah <laughs> you were saying to me at Nanda Hobbs I've got five bodies of I've got five bodies of work I just yeah. need to stay oh because you were going I'm on the back end Willie I'm on the back end of life I've got yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god Caroline you're talking like you're 80 you're not <laughs> yeah no I've been, yeah I haven't been very uh <laughs> I've battered my body somewhat so I don't expect like the average life expectancy so I gotta <laughs> cram a lot into the next you know 10 years. <laughs> 10 years oh my god I love it Caroline Zielinski thank you so much for joining us on interview with an artist it has thank been such so a much. pleasure thanks Wilhelmina <laughs> Thank you.